The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning. I hope everything is going well for all of you today. Uh, Today I'm going to talk a little bit about what happens when wild things come out from the wild and perhaps provide a little better understanding of why these things happen. The urban wilderness, the bear, the raccoon, beaver, or the lion in your yard, patrolling your neighborhoods and nearby recreation areas, and in rising numbers of risky and close encounters with the wild animals in our backyards, and those when we're in what we have designated as their yard. These rising encounters signify changes, both environmentally and culturally, of our rapidly growing human footprint, causing fuzzy boundaries, both physical and mental, our understanding and attitudes towards wildlife, and deciding what belongs to whom. Is it our backyard, or is it their living room? Today, we are provided with an incredible amount of opportunities for increased awareness about human and non-human communities and as how to interact with each other while living side by side and sometimes in the same places at the same time. Today, I'd like to explore some of the layers that comprise these issues and what can happen when we forget there really are wild things out there. When the wild animal comes in contact with us outside the context of a presumed secure or managed encounter, look out, as we suddenly oftentimes become idiots. We panic, instincts long forgotten and left unused in our busy and often virtual daily worlds of email, the office, the gym, and the car. Our rusty instincts wake up and viscerally ripple through us. That lizard brain of ours ignites and yells out loud and clear and screams, run. So what does this tell us about ourselves and our response to and need for wilderness? We are thrilled by the theoretical possibility of having a near-death encounter, a high adrenaline adventure, a managed risky experience, the operative word here being managed. Once it's not managed by us, and nature provides the honest chance of the game being equal, and when it turns up aces, we usually get the crap scared out of us, and the realness of that honest-to-God predator versus prey, nature versus man, face-off changes something in us. We are awakened. 
Yet, more and more, our wildlife seems to be a thing to be tolerated when it impacts our livelihood, but mostly these days to be enjoyed, up close and personal, more often at some level of captivity rather than in its own home and as some form of entertainment or leisure activity. When we encounter animal welfare, rescue, rehab facilities, where we can interact one-on-one with what was or would have been a wild animal, that animal is tangible to us. We've touched it. We've smelled it. We've heard it speak. We've been wowed, awed, and touched by its beauty or strength or power. We've been touched by an experience we would most likely otherwise never have had. We feel a deep emotional connection to these others, the more exotic and wild animals, versus our companion cats, dogs, horses, and domestic livestock, pigs, cows, sheep, and chickens. There is an incipient upsurge in reality TV animal shows, to the effect that it brings us even closer to the wild and wild animals, typically so far out of our reach. In so many instances, these animals are portrayed, that is, dramatized as being wild. However, in just as many instances, they are also captive. Captive wild is not quite the same thing as a wild animal and should also not be confused with tame or domesticated. But we have tried that too. A wild animal is one that is able to roam wherever it wants and needs and to and needs to in pursuit of life, food, security, and access to mates to freely use its habitat in migration routes and favorite watering holes holes or feeding spots without interference or competition or interaction with us. These wild animals are not constrained by fences, moats, and walls. But we want, and we even need, the close encounter so we can run the mental logistics of what if. Or we watch I Survived or Fatal Attraction as we sit on the edge of our seat waiting for the hook so we can drop our jaw or scoff, thinking how much better we would do or that we would never have gotten into that situation in the first place. But we do. It's all around us. TV, documentary, zoos, safaris, national parks, our backyards. And each and every time we are surprised and outraged at the outcomes. Someone fatally wounded by the lion attack on a mountain trail. The hikers bitten by a bear while in the backwoods. The fisherman who falls out of the boat. The terrible stories of the attractions and exhibits of exotic animals who crossed the invisible line and bit the hand that fed it. We follow with bated breath the ensuing search and rescue for the person, the enforcement services that are put into place, such example as the sanctuary in Iowa, I believe it was, Iowa or Ohio, where the proprietor and owner and main animal keeper committed suicide, but not before turning all his animals loose. The human danger and frenzy that has ensued among equal measure of animal welfare and emotion as to the conditions these animals were kept, and a sudden raising of the awareness that this really happens, and an outpouring of righteous outrage and wanting to make sure it never happens again. We do that each time too, but it still happens. 
Yes, there are many captive facilities. There are incredible enrichment landscapes and that hold our wildlife captive for a variety of good reasons. Breeding, research, scientific and medical understanding, educational and personal use, and behavioral understanding. The latter of which typically involves some element of purpose because keeping captive exotic species requires a lot of time, effort, and skills, which also means a lot of money. And the easiest way to do to gain that necessary funding is to invite the public in to participate on some level for that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get up close and personal. Oftentimes, at the personal or local level, getting close and personal with no bars, no cages, and limited safety measures in place for either the keeper or the visitor. We've all heard the news stories when some unfortunate visitor taking a picture with a tiger cub gets injured, or when a visitor is appalled by the conditions of the animals that they're kept in, and we find out about it on TV under Animal Cops or the Humane Society or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife seizures. seizures. Somehow, even this tragedy is still turned into some form of an an appalling, eye-catching, entertainment for a cause. Yet, all you have to do is watch any Humane Society or PETA video of the mistreatment of these animals by our industrial food complexes and their employees, and you will be immediately and emotionally connected and disgusted and repelled by the inhumanity. It is the anticipation in our thinking of just how awful these images may be that teases us into watching them. As a rule, we don't want to be upset. We don't seek out disgust. That is a hardwired core brain emotive reactional function with physiological responses. You've all seen it, the squinching of the eyes, the grimace of the mouth, the wrinkling of the nose, perhaps the hand covering the mouth or eyes, and eyes that turn away in disgust. So, in some way or another, we are constantly exposed to wild animals virtually via the internet or TV and documentaries or in a live context that is familiar to us. The zoo grounds, the safari vehicle, the exotic roadside petting zoo, and even this talk show. Watching and interacting with wildlife in this way, remotely or from the other side of the bars or car window, does not prepare you physiologically or physically for an encounter with a real, live, wild, and potentially dangerous animal. This is where listening to the behaviors or your guide and paying attention to the info plaques in front of the cage or from the animal keeper or the info that you've been given at the park headquarters help us to learn and perhaps be eventually prepared for a chance encounter when wild things come out from the wild. This information is where we learn about how the animal interacts with the world, regardless of our presence and sometimes due to our presence. Captive animals behave differently in captivity than they would in the wild and in some very critical ways. Firstly, because wild animals are not dependent upon us as their perceived parent, keeper, companion, or provider for their food and enrichment. And secondly, rarely do they choose to interact with us on a social level when in their own world. 
and when they do choose to do so, when the worlds collide, the presumed understanding you have of this animal from its captive or zoo or television counterpart, who has been hand-raised and imprinted by humans, that presumed understanding falls completely to pieces. And this is where science, behavior, knowledge of a species, knowledge of a habitat, and its environment is working toward a shift to improve our human understanding of not just the wider world and the beings we live with, but its broader and related areas of morals, ethics, laws, and social studies. It is now possible to study the wild with or without or excuse me, it is now possible to study the wild with minimal human presence via remote sensors, cameras, satellite data, and imaging. Since the ability to implement technological research into wildlife study, we have opened universes worth of information about the interconnected functionality of how living things make this planet work, and even how humans were made and evolved by the goings-on of earthly things. But all this is rapidly changing. When wild things come out from our wild world, and start living, using, and recreating in what we thought was only our world, the human areas. First of all, let's take the birds that fly out of our windows, or the hummingbird that finds its way into your open window or to your sunburned red nose. It's just doing what it does in search for possible food. How often in your workaday world do you really stop, look, and listen to the birds outside your windows? You hear their songs. Do you know who wrote that song? What bird that it is? Most likely, the answer is no. Most likely, you haven't really thought about it. Now, let's add a brand new baby human being into the world, seeing everything, every little thing for the first time. You're walking down from the parking lot to the mall or on your vacation, and a bird flies by, as they always seem to be doing, and your baby goes wide-eyed, giggles and points, and makes a sound. As basically saying, look at that. What was that amazing thing that just came into my world without having to touch the ground? And we say, yes, a bird. But do we really notice that bird? If it were a pterodactyl, pterodactyl, we certainly would have. But a robin? A chickadee? A starling? Who was that beautiful winged creature, one of nature's and God's creations? It's living its day, learning, looking, surviving, and yes, even shopping for the things it needs. Millions of them, thousands upon thousands of species of them, while we're pretty much oblivious to the little things that make the world go round. Those little wild things that move in and out of our day, unobtrusively and often unnoticed. Wildlife encounters are all around us now, thanks to modern television. It is all around us. We know all the slogans, animal planets, surprisingly human, or stay tuned, more live action, and Nat Geo's Wild, getting you closer, or meet the filmmaker or the author, private tour behind the scenes with zookeepers, or come see the new cubs and baby animals or a special exhibit on breeding loan at your city zoo. Then beside the more intellectual pursuits such as Planet Earth, Planet Ocean, History Channel, BBC, and National Public Television, we have the more visceral heart-pounding call of the wild man action, hillbilly hand-fishing, and gator boys. 
All of these in some way open doors to the larger public who may never have had an opportunity to see these places or encounter this type of an experience, whether we live in or nearby this place or whether it's a place on our bucket list. This is important, but like so many things, there can be too much of a good thing, where the consequences outweigh the benefits, where the end is no longer justified by the means. When did this surge in adrenaline and risk-focused wild versus the human being begin? I'd say it goes back to the 1990s. Remember Survivor? And then its sequel, Survivor Africa. That one really hit the charts, so much so that we have its generational spinoffs available via internet, cable, and satellite access, anywhere, anytime. Really, even in the midst of absolutely no human civilizations, otherwise known as wilderness or the wild, there is modern gear that will connect you to the rest of the world live and in real time. What most of these managed wild encounters, TV or zoo, is the point of view of perspective. It is always from the human. Rarely do we see outside of wildlife documentary or satellite collars and the new GoPro camera technology, the point of view of perspective from the animal. Or when we do, it's often shrouded in terror, fear, and threat of violence. Remember the movies Cujo, Jaws, or just the monster under the bed? Or there is our scientific model that is so dry, in fact based on avoidance and extremes of any word or phrase that could be construed as anthropomorphism. Wildlife filmmaking, the documenting true natural animal behavior, has only recently become available through microtechnology. Prior to this, there has always been the human behind the lens, and of course, the human narrator, emoting away or terrorizing us, depending on the point or message to be made. But even with high-tech remote viewing of natural behaviors, the point of view of perspective is still that of the human observing. We are watching. However, we are not often aware that the wildlife is also watching us, such as the mountain lion who begins stalking neighborhoods and taking pets, or the bears that get into your garbage car or house, simply following its powerful olfactory senses, its instincts, and its need for survival. It smells food, it sees food, it needs food. So, Right now, we're going to head into a little bit of a break. Uh, you're more than welcome to call into the show at, I lost my number. Uh, I should know this number by now. Um, but if you're listening live, give us a call. If you have something to say, a uh, comment or questions, I'd love to hear from you. And we'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The Wild Effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. 
She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. Today we're talking about uh, things and the levels and the layers around when wild things come out from the wild. So I stopped off before the break about wild things entering our world in search of food or security or something that it needs to survive. And really, we are very lucky that most times wildlife doesn't see us as food. But when it does, that encounter changes everything. The rule of thumb in the wild is to look and don't touch. As soon as we reach out to touch, we break the rules, those unwritten but highly obvious rules of the wild. We are typically the only species with a need to reach out and touch other species. Most non-human mammals do not do this. However, there are those rare occasions where one species adopts another. The dog who will let piglets feed, feed with its pups. The chicken who will sit and warm on kittens. But there is usually a human involved somewhere. Those occasions in the wild, like the lioness that adopted the lost baby oryx and did this on five separate occasions, or the tortoise who befriended the orphaned hippo, these relationships can and do happen in the wild, but they do not last long. They simply can't. It's basically against the rules of nature. A predator adopting a prey species out of a hardwired need to nurture and mother eventually must make a choice for her own survival. And being unequipped to care for another species usually spells the eventual and sad end. Although this whole episode pulls strongly on our emotional heartstrings. It brings up that we do have things in common, that we share behaviors and we share emotions. Let's scale this up a little, from the little fauna to the megafauna. Think of a lion, an elephant, or a bear. Why do we so obviously notice these animals and their otherness and their completeness is so very separate from us? And why must we have them close by, captive, so we can stare at them, enjoy them, or tease them, or do them harm, all so they can be under our protection? 
We don't want them in our yards, of course. Who wants an elephant in your yard, eating your garden, smashing your house? Or a bear? Or a lion? It's dangerous, requires a lot of upkeep, money, and time, and attention. So, we depend on zoos, but you can't touch them there, really, until there are babies. And then there are many facilities you can find where you can pet the baby tiger, the lion, or the bear, and even have your photo taken with them. But why do we need this? And further, why doesn't this animal welfare... (coughs) Excuse me. Why doesn't this animal welfare, this need, translate to the animals out there in the wild? The ones we can't see, touch, or smell, or interact with. Those that do not need us for anything but to leave them alone, to do what they do, just as they mostly leave us alone to do what we do. Individuals the world over are doing what they can. The people we see highlighted in these TV documentaries and reality shows, there is certainly some conservation value to these shows. They do make us aware that everyday people are doing extraordinary things and raising awareness that these animals are out there more often than we think and also raises participation in animal welfare and animal rights, a tangible thing we can each personally, emotionally relate to. Often, it is this very aspect where the conservation movement fails us. There is much to be gained by these both animal welfare, animal rights, and biodiversities and species conservation movements combining themselves more publicly, not just behind the scenes, bringing some manageable scope and scale to the individuals who become engaged, those of us who like to watch, and those of us who want to help. There is a downside to the virtual experience and the ubiquitous exposure that 15 minutes of fame mentality in the quest for more extreme encounters to raise ratings, advertiser income, and viewership. We can often become the instigators of an unnecessary and unwanted incident. Take the case of Steve Irwin, crocodile hunter, who pushed the envelope too far, and sometimes all it takes is pushing it once. In the point of view of the animal, it is always fight or fight, flight, and you get one chance. Each encounter an animal has with an other is an all-out fight to come out alive. We forget this, our big brains fantasizing about what we would do in the presented situation, and we interfere by becoming part of the action, exponentially affecting the outcome due to our point of view and human perspective. And this is where the thrills are, the ones we're missing in our relative comfort and habitation, so we seek them out in other ways. We enjoy watching these shows even while we cringe at their audacity. It keeps us on the edge of our seat, or at least is background while we go out about our lives, feed the family, do the chores, and the work to prepare for tomorrow. This has somewhat jaded our expectations of the wild. We are either expecting mega thrills at every turn, or we figure the probability of it happening to us is close to nil. We forget to be alert, like our ancestors had to be, because every time they walked out the equal of a door, it was a physical fight to survive. We needed to be fit, coordinated, use our brains, and learn. Today, we fulfill these needs through a variety of activities, extreme sports, physical competitions, high-risk demanding jobs. But for the most of us, 
We fought it out in the safety of the indoors, in the conference room, the courtroom, the stadium, or our wars for ideology, power, and control of resources. Conservation entities have hard facts and science, but animal welfare welfare groups and even the reality entertainment show also has and creates that necessary emotional connection. This could be your dog, your cat, or the roadside attraction or zoo near you. This could be the crocodile in your swimming pool. These backyard celebrities of unique yet everyday folks that seem like you and me become the unofficial face of wildlife and somewhere in the back of our minds Merkley connects to an amorphous concept of conservation in action. One thing to keep in mind, however, remember this, entertainment TV is TV. There is always a hook. The on-camera personality is usually not alone. There is a camera crew, and much of this dramatization is scripted. And the folks that do the animal catching really do know what they are doing. They are professionals, even if they seem a little odd, wacky, or eccentric. But all of this makes for good entertainment. But when the goal of entertainment pushes the envelope just a bit too far, then it's tragedy and then the armchair quarterbacks start speaking out. And sometimes even laws get changed for the better. And our response is genuine. We are truly devastated by what has happened. And we hear heartfelt apologies from the conservation entities or law enforcement who cannot afford to break the tangible, delicate thread that engages the necessary emotional responses of the masses to do something. With only the words conservation entities utters, we really need and value your support. Please help us in raising awareness of this crisis, and if you can, please support us by making a donation that will allow us to continue our efforts. Thank you for your support. There are so many calls for urgency. We are inundated every day. The scale and scope has become unimaginable, and often we find we must turn away or just cry at the injustice of it all. But the silver in this dark cloud is that there are plenty of us. We can choose one thing, and we can make a difference. We can be prepared for the reality of entering wild places. We can behave as good people when interacting with captive wildlife and learn from the experience. We can remember that we share this planet and our recreation areas with other beings whose lives are complete and whole without us. We can respect these boundaries and we can enforce them. And we can teach our children where life comes from and that much of it has emotions, challenges, and societies just like we do. Not the same, of course, but societies, rules, and needs, and oftentimes, as we are learning, a full set of complementary emotional and neurological responses, similar stimuli and circumstances to us. We have only one Earth. If we don't care, who will? Sustaining our modern wild world and protecting it from us is, by today's accounting, completely and financially dependent upon our goodwill. To keep the wild things wild and minimize both actions and activities that are an eventual setup for an encounter that may result in a negative interaction an interaction that is but for our need to be entertained, thrilled, and a need for action that would otherwise and necessarily be avoided at all costs. 
If we measure financially the whole footprint of this kind of entertainment enterprise, are the costs versus the risk worth it? Does the end justify the means? How do we know that we, humanity, us people, you and me, humans, have agreed on what that end is that we are striving for? Where does financial and economic uh, factors blend with compassion, common sense, and our knowledgeable, thus enlightened, individual and collective psyche? What's the true price of encouraging to get closer and more live action and scripted confrontations or conflicts when wild things come out from the wild and step into your day? So here's one for you. What does it say about us that we'll drop $499.99 on a new HD, 3D, 60-inch LED display TV for better viewing of all the wildlife and nature programming that is available to us? But we often do not take two minutes to click and donate and give the price of a latte or a fancy dinner for two at your favorite high-end bistro to help save our wildlife or help avert a crisis. I'll be specific here. If you enjoy this show, Our Wild World, you can help keep it going. You, dear listener, can make can take an action that makes a real difference in your life and the life of another and the life of wildlife. A gift a gift of your hard-earned money. You can make a tax-deductible donation to Wild Eyes Foundation that directly helps us accomplish conservation through public awareness, outreach, and on the ground at the front lines, those intersections where wildlife and people meet, and providing for security for both the human and wild communities, those places where we do not go to recreate but are nonetheless as important for our wild worlds and our survival. This huge but limited ball of resources, the amazing abundance of life. One donation, no matter how large or small, has an impact. It makes a commitment by the donor, you, to do something. Even if we can't do it ourselves, we have made by giving a show of trust that the recipient of our bounty will do what they say they will do. You can learn more details about the project's Wild Eyes funds through the support of people just like you at our award-winning website, www.wildeyes.org. So oftentimes we don't want to hear things like that in the middle of a listening to a show or at the end of our entertainment t- TV. We sort of pass by the little conservation message as it's no longer thrilling us and they're asking us to take an action, to become involved. Where did this break happen? Where did it fall off the cliff that we want to see this? It's more and more programming that engages our emotional and knee-jerk responses, our thrills and our desire to see people and animals on the edge and taking risks. But we don't want to become involved in actually protecting and saving in those animals and those areas and habitats that are facing real crisis. It's a question. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the answer. I'd love to hear from any of you via email or our discussion groups with an answer or with a comment. These are questions that I love to bring up during our wild world to help engage my listeners, to help engage you, the public, the individual, the people I'm talking to right now, to think 
and to think a little bit more about how we respond, the responsibilities we take in living on this planet Earth and with all the non-human neighbors we live with, those that we're highly aware of, the megafauna, charming, charismatic species, and the ones that we perhaps don't care for, the uh, coyotes, the um, groundhogs, the prairie dogs, the insects, those that are often termed vermin because they get in the way of our economic standards. So... um on that note, I would like to read a little poem. Um, typically, as, as you listen to our show, uh, my work is mostly focused in Africa. And this poem is about or is geared toward Africa. And it was shared to me. Um, it's an unknown, The poem is by an unknown author. And it was shared with me by a friend and colleague over Facebook. Um, I think it sums up our need for wildness, and though it refers to Africa, I believe it also refers to all wild places. Here we go. When you have acquired a taste for the dust and the scent of our first rain, you're hooked for life on Africa, and you'll not be right again. Until you can watch the setting moon and hear the jackals bark and know they are around you, waiting in the dark. When you long to see the elephants or hear the cuckoo's song, when the moonrise sets your blood on fire, then you've been away too long. It's time to cut the traces loose and let your heart go free, beyond that far horizon where your spirit yearns to be. Africa is waiting. Come, since you have touched the open sky and learned to love the rustling grass and the wild fish eagles cry, you'll always hunger for the bush, for the lion's rasping roar, to camp at last beneath the stars, and to be at peace once more. So, that's our show for today. I hope uh, I helped bring a little light to when the wild things come out from the wild, and how, uh, and step in to our day. So on that note, I'll leave you, and we'll be right back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. This has never happened to me before. My time clock got a little confused, and I thought I was out of time. And we still have a few minutes to go. So if uh, any callers out there would like to call in, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. And you can follow along on Facebook with Wild Eyes. Visit our website at wildeyes.org and join in on some of the discussions through LinkedIn and the other social networks. So uh, if there's a caller out there who'd like to call in and ask some questions or has a comment either about today's show or any other questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. So it's not often that I run out of things to say early. I'm usually such a talker. Um, and have plenty to say, and uh, today I ended early. So come on, let's have a caller, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, I Another, uh, since I've got a few minutes, another exciting bit of news coming up is that the f- film that Wild Eyes funded, The Elephant in the Room, which you can find on YouTube under Wild Eyes, has been nominated for... Uh, an award in the Best of Short Shorts at the Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival. This film festival is one of the premier wildlife film festivals in North America. So we are thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be nominated and honored to be there. So I will be heading to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I was just there a few weeks ago uh, toward the uh, middle end of September and will bringing you uh, bringing you our wild world live from Jackson Hole, Wyoming with uh, interviews and comments and from many of the uh, other participants, lecturers, speakers, and keynote presenters uh, that will be at the festival. So that will be um, Monday, September 23rd. And um, of course, I'm going to gather a whole lot of information, (coughs) excuse me, and uh, ask a lot of questions and bring those responses and answers and commentaries to you over the following weeks upon my return from Jackson Hole. 
So um, one thing a friend of mine said, we're, we have two other films in competition for the award in our category. As I said, best of short shorts. So the upside is we know we have third place locked up. That's, uh, that's the worst case scenario. So uh, keep your fingers crossed. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to watch the film, The Elephant in the Room. It's available on our website under photos and videos and uh, wildlife projects and also through our YouTube channel. And I'd love to hear your comments. It's a short two-minute public service announcement that engages the audience to understand where ivory comes from. And the main point of focus is that When we stop buying, elephants stop dying. So it's geared toward the Asian market. It is currently showing in Shanghai Square on the, no pun intended, intended, Jumbotron in China, and it's doing very well. CITES and UNEP are uh, using it also uh, for their public service and relations announcements. So we're very thrilled that this little film has uh, gone off like a rocket and hopefully will engage people to understand and want to learn more about the elephant and uh, the elephant crisis, which naturally leads to the rhino crisis and basically the um, losses and possible extinctions we have already faced in those that are reaching the tipping point today. Uh, As I talk a lot about during our wild world and uh, various episodes is that we people, um, we've been, we're young, we're a young species, what, 175,000 years old on the global scale. So we're still learning what it means to be human. We've learned a lot. We've uh, invented, discovered, and created so many technologies and Ah, we have a caller. Uh, welcome. Carl is on the phone. Welcome, Carl. Hey, thanks, Ellie. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. But, hey, uh, you know, I've listened to the show for quite a while, and I, I had one particular question that I, I wanted to pose to you. You know, it, it seems that, especially with what you're talking about in terms of technology, that sometimes we as human beings seem to forget that we coexist with our animal friends, how can we as a community, as we as, a, you know, just not just human beings, but we as a community of human beings, um, kind of learn to coexist and kind of get the message out there that we need to be doing or we need to foster a, a better rapport with the animal kingdom and, you know, foster uh, a better living environment for them. Well, thank you, Carl, for, one, being a long-time listener, and thank you for calling in. And um, I, th- I think I understand your question. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by the word coding, but if I understand your question, how do we, uh, through our technology and all the advances that we have today, create a an atmosphere that is more willing to engage the human community to protecting and engaging and understanding the need for our wild community. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and I can take my answer off the air. I'm sorry, say that again? I, I said that is correct. And I can also take my answer off the air. Okay. So um, let me give a little brief uh, answer to that 
answer to that question. And, and that's what Our Wild World is about and all the episodes and the things that I talk about. Uh, encoding humanity to live better with the rest of the animal kingdom and through our technology, which has opened up today so much more resources, knowledgeable uh, uh, knowledge, data, and understanding of what the animal community is, what it consists of, who lives in it. Uh, then there's also the animal behaviorists, biologists, zoologists, ethologists, and we're learning that animals uh, are mammals. We are a mammal. We are a part of that animal community. So once we stop thinking of humans as something other than animals and that animals do, are not another world away from us, that they are right here, that creates a baseline of understanding that we can start to engage and read and learn about all there is to know. There are, over the many episodes of the show, I've suggested many good books. So um, reading and learning and finding information that's out there and even watching TV, uh, wildlife documentaries and some of the incredible shows out there, even the uh, celebrity uh, wildlife interaction, live action sort of TV shows, episodes that I mentioned today. They all do teach us something about animal behavior and that more and more people are getting involved or have been involved but are now being able to make a statement. We wouldn't have these TV shows and this kind of uh, programming available if it weren't um, being enjoyed, if it didn't have an audience. So right there is a clue. People are interested. So it is up to each of us to take some time and learn uh, what is going on. When we decide to go out and recreate, take a run, take a hike, or go camping, remember that we are visiting another world, a parallel world alongside us, where our human things don't matter so much. What does matter is paying attention to what is out there and um, understanding uh, how animals and nature behaves and what we can and what we cannot manipulate in any given situation. There are some really good books. One that comes immediately to mind is a great humorous little book called Don't Get Eaten by biologist Dave Smith, where he puts forth... Um, imagined questions. What would happen if, for example, you're shushing down a hill and you come around uh, the corner and there is a moose in your path? What do you do? So each animal that he uh, provides information on uh, is set up around an, a what-if scenario of an encounter or in a possible encounter. And he takes it from ungulates or what we would think is typically a non-threatening species to those that can be very dangerous. And throughout his descriptions, first he poses the question, then he tells you about the animal, and then he, the size, measurements, size, uh, speed, and capabilities. And then he tells you how this animal thinks, how it sees the world, which is very different from the way we see the world. And he brings a little connection of uh, education and knowledge so that when you encounter this animal, 
you know what to do. You have an understanding of how this animal may possibly react to you, its fight or flight zone, and how you can avoid or uh, de-stress, deactivate an encounter by your behavior or how you can ramp up an encounter by your behavior um, and what could likely happen. So it's a great little book, Don't Get Eaten, by biologist Doug uh, Dave Smith. So thank you, Carl, for your call. I appreciate it. So um, once again, through Our Wild World, the whole point of this show is to help my listeners understand and gain a little bit of knowledge of about the other living and non-human beings that we live with and how important they are uh, to the function of this planet, which we are dependent upon and they are dependent upon for our survival. That means to live. Uh, survival is such a ubiquitous word. Surviving means staying alive. Uh, Earth has been alive for billions of years. Humanity's been around for a long time, but in the scope of things, it's really a cosmically short blink. So we are learning. We are evolving. Uh, we're evolving faster and faster as the world around us changes. And we can choose the behaviors we would like to keep and those that we would be better off not having. And one of those is getting a better understanding of how to live with each other, human to human, human to earth, and human to wildlife, so that wildlife to wildlife to earth, <coughs> excuse me, has a better chance of survival and living on. So not only for its own right and its own need for existence and for the free systems, so to speak, that it provides to us, but so that we aesthetically can enjoy it for future generations and for today. But a lot of people talk about the future, but that's so amorphous and it's so difficult and of a scope to really imagine because things are changing so rapidly today. But we do need to think about the future and make it personal. What are you going to do next year, next, uh, next decade, uh, in 2015? How will the world be different and how can you make it the place you want it to be in five years for your children, for yourself, for your family? Do we want wildlife? Do we want lions? Do we want elephants? And do we only want them because of an economic standpoint? Or do we want them for their aesthetics, their beauty, and for what they can teach us? So those are the questions that I ask and I would like you to ponder. And that is the point of our wild world. To learn it, to know it, to love it, and to be a part of it. And yet stay safe and uh, minimize those encounters that do not need to happen and be aware. So uh, it looks like we are really out of time for today. So uh, once again, I'll be back next week with actually in a special encore as it's Labor Day uh, holiday and weekend. So I'll be off air uh, with a special encore and then I'll be back again the following week and uh, bring you more of our wild world. And if anyone out there has suggestions or comments or would like to be a guest, 
uh, guest host on my show, please contact me at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at wildeyes.org. And please take some time to visit our website, www.wildeyes.org, and learn about the projects and people and animals that your funding, the public, helps us to support and keep our wild world going. Thank you. This is Ellie Weiss. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management.